Father, help us. Help us to hear. Help us to be strengthened in the inner man. Help us to comprehend with all the saints the incomparable love of Christ. Help us to be the fullness of you to a lost and dying world. To you, my King, Christ's name. Amen. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. He would grant to you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the inner man. In order that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, in order that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge in order that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think According to the power that works within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus in all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I've been sharing with you as we moved into this book some time ago that the first three and a half chapters is who you are as a Christian. As a Christian. There are, if, if you spend time with different families and you have the unit of the family, uh, and, and in some cases, you know, you can take cousins, brothers and uncles and all the rest of it, you will see characteristics that are the same different things that they've learned through the through the gene pool or through the lessons that were learned i remember my best man ed and his brother dave <laughs> if you seen them walking away from you they looked identical they had the same stride they carried themselves the walks were the same and you just sit there and go wow now, that was back when Ed had a ponytail, so you could tell the difference, but it was still one of those things that you see, and you see that dynamic in families a lot, that there will be characteristics, even some physical characteristics, that you can tell that they are related. It's kind of what the Apostle Paul is trying to tell you and me. You look through chapter 1, and you see God had a plan in eternity past. He showed you how that plan was going to work, but he prayed you were smart enough to figure out what he just explained to you. How do you explain to a temporal being eternal privilege? And so then he explains how it is fleshed out and seen in our societies today and you, what you and I call the church. The church. We are being conformed into the image of Christ. Each one of you have differing gifts that are to help me. 
I have a differing gift. It is to assist you. And in that dynamic, all of those pieces come together in the unity of the family of God. We were looking at that in Romans 8 this morning. That we are heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Christ. The Spirit bears witness. The Spirit Himself bears witness with us. With our spirit. That we are children of God. Joint heirs. The Apostle Paul at the conclusion of chapter 3 of Ephesians is trying to say, this is what you possess. This is your position in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a deacon. It doesn't matter if you're a Sunday school teacher. It doesn't matter as long as you are indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. This is your position. All of the possessions of every Christian is available to every Christian. Every Christian is a minister. Every Christian is being ministered to. Okay? I I, I use the illustration and I'll use it again. Christianity today is trying to say, okay, here's this glass and God pours his stuff into it and it fills up that glass and then when it gets full, then it spills over and we get it to other people in their glasses. Well, that's wrong. Okay, a Christian is a glass and you knock the bottom out of it and you stick it into the flow of Christ and when it gets really good, You don't even see the glass anymore. All you see is the flow of Christ. That's the difference. It's one of the things that is hurting Christendom right now. We think that I have to be filled up so I can arrive to a position where I now can be used. Okay? You're doing it on your own works then. You're doing it on your own works. When we're looking back through this, and I think about the Apostle Paul, I believe Paul was a prayer warrior. I still at times read there that he can go with boldness and confidence in access to God through faith in Christ Jesus. Okay? But when I think about him in verse 14 saying, for this reason, this reason actually goes back to chapter 2, verse 22. But for for this reason, I bow my knees. We looked at this last week that that shows the passion that he has, but also the emotion that he has. That is an intensity that the Apostle Paul had. See, when you have passion in your prayer and you have emotion in your prayer, then you know that you have a foundational, theologically sound prayer. Prayer. When that is in existence in your prayer, you see through all of the wants, and you can pinpoint the needs. There are many times that I am approached as a pastor with petitions. But the thing is, is that I've been in this congregation long enough 
and been with so many of you for so long, even when you bring me your petitions, I probably already know what the need is. Okay? And I'm not saying that to hurt your feelings or anything like that. I would hope you would see it with me. That's bowing his knees. The Apostle Paul understood, I can go into the presence of God with boldness and confidence, even in his majesty, because of my passion for him. Because of his majesty, because I am in the family of God, because of his majesty, because I am a child of God, I can be bold in my prayer and I can pray with confidence. And then he says this, before the Father, verse 15, from whom, now see, I bow my knees to the majesty of God, my Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Whoa. Now, if you get you a commentary or you read some extra stuff, It is amazing what we conclude this text means. Some very wise men, okay, shows that this father is the prototype for all fathers. Okay? They will even make this statement. I'm not going to tell you who said it because... Yeah, anyway, I'm just not going to tell you. But this is the father of all fatherhood. Okay? And you're like, all right, this seems okay. If you take the liberal spin on this, this is what they conclude with this text. You have the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. Okay? And you know what? That is a big deal in the liberal church. Now, be real careful. Because you immediately are going to think about, okay, I know them liberal churches. I've heard them. No, you don't. Ever heard of the American Baptist? Have you ever heard of John Piper? He's an American Baptist. Hmm. They take this text and they know that the church is for sharing, correct? Right? But they believe that telling everyone they are saved is the mission of the church. We are to tell all people that they are saved. Because God was everybody's father. And everyone is each other's brother. The fellowship of the saints. And so it's the church's responsibility to explain to everybody that you're saved. Because God is our Father. 
Everyone who has lived has God for their father. Has to be that way, correct? We were all created in His image, were we not? Well, actually, no, we weren't. Adam and Eve were created in His image. I was created in Adam and Eve's image. Everyone who has lived has God for the Father. Well, I'm not the brightest bulb in the package, nor am I the sharpest pencil. But I am curious about this. I read it. Every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. You know what just jumps out there at me on that? The word hell isn't here. Jesus Christ taught more on hell than any writer in the scriptures. Whatever this family is, it is a family that is on earth and a family that is in heaven and they are one. Whichever family is the one, he is the father of it. Okay? So if you think that it's your job to go tell people that God is your father and you are saved, you just ain't smart enough to know it yet. Then I'm going to have to ask you, what are you going to do with John's gospel, chapter 8, verse 44? You do not know who I am because you are of your father, the devil. Hmm. First John chapter 3 tells us that there are two families. You are the family of God and you are the family of the devil. And let me tell you something. The devil's children and God's children are most certainly different. One is the father of truth. One is the father of lies. So Paul prays to the father who we derive our name from on earth and in heaven. So what he's saying is, whether it's a living saint or a dead saint, all one family, all one father. We are one with the Father. We are one with the Son. We are one with the Spirit. Alright? We are one. You can't separate it. Everybody else in the family is what? One. I don't have to make unity with you people. I'm already unified with you. If I am one with Christ, if I am one with God, if I am one with the Spirit, if you've got the Spirit, that means you're one with God, that means you're one with Jesus, and you're one with the Spirit. What are you and I going to add to that? How are you going to make that oneness better? Duck tape. There's nothing you can do. It is already done. See why I'm trying to get you guys to get a hold of your position. Your position. You are already one if you are 
saved. There is just one family of God. And there are some of us on earth and there are some of us in heaven. But we are still one family. Here's something I want you to try to wrap your head around. Okay? Just get a hold of this for a second. And and this is one of those, uh, you're going to have to chew on it. Okay? We are more citizens of heaven than we are citizens of earth. So why is it we waste so much time thinking about this citizenship instead of our heavenly citizenship? We just haven't left these earthly vessels. And when we leave these earthly vessels, guess what? We get to see our real home. We all possess the same eternal life. Same one. We already have the guarantee of our inheritance. Guarantee's already there. Eternal life is already there. You're as holy right now as you're ever going to be. Guess what? Why don't we act like it? I can tell you why. We're hanging on to our citizenship here. I'm just passing through. I'm a pilgrim. We who are saved have the same salvation. There's no degrees of saved. Same salvation. Do you know we all have the same hope? We also have the same home. Salvation, hope, and home. And Paul goes to the Father knowing that he is part of the family. When you go to the Father, do you know that? The same God who has blessed all of the saints for all time The same loving Father is going to receive and care for Paul and us. All right? So Paul charges into the presence of the Father of who is the Father of the whole family, living and dead. Who are, whose name do we bear? Ever thought about these things? I'm a child of God. I bear His name. I'm His heir. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about this dilemma. Hebrews chapter 12. 22 and 23. 12, 22 and 23. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriads of angels, to the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven. 
and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteousness made perfect. You're already there. The one family of God. The heavenly Jerusalem. The Mount Zion that in glory. The church of the firstborn. Whether you were alive walking around here. Or whether they just made been made perfect in heaven. It's all one family. Now listen. There are distinct parts. Alright? There is Israel. And there is the church. Those who live in Israel, the country of right now, who believe in Jesus Christ, what family are they in? Ours. And if you look at the book of Revelations, I know that everybody likes to look at it, and, and this is the end of the age, and da 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 da, and it's going to be, and it's going to be like this, and cataclysmic, and you got this bold judgment, and oh my gosh, you got these other things happening, and you got the seas drying up, you got all, listen, all that is for is to renew the covenant with Israel, to bring Israel to Messiah. That's what it's for. I mean, the book of Revelations to me is the restoration of Israel. I mean, that's the essence of the book. And yet, we all, that's the end of the age. No, it's the beginning of eternity. <laughs> whether we're alive on this earth, or whether they've been made perfect, it's still one family. And they are still all children of God. There's no distinction. Remember, there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no master, there is no slave. Those believing in Israel, the true Israel, and Paul is focusing on the fact that it is a family of one father. Family of one father. See, Paul still is in this amazement that we are one. When he, and it's one of the things that I think hurts me the most in the church is that we don't understand there is one body. Okay? There is one body. There's not multiple bodies. And, and, and when I say it that way, well, I worship my own way. No! There is one body. Paul used that illustration in the Corinthians is that, you know, not everybody can be an ear. Not everybody can be an eye. And when you start removing parts from the body, what happens? You can't do it. I mean, if you think about it, you got ten fingers. All right? Remove two thumbs. What do you got? See, you're not, it's all got to be there. And yet when people don't come, people don't think it's important, what are you doing? You're showing the lost and dying world a crippled Jesus, which he's not. 
which he's not. There is no Jew. There is no Greek. Male or female. There is no such thing. We are all one. And it takes us all to be there to be that one. You guys, some of you have gifts I ain't got. So God puts you in my life so that there is a balance there. So it all of a sudden works. It looks right. I don't know what you guys did wrong for me to get put in your lives, but get over it. <laughs> it must have been awful. But you see what I'm trying to get at? Because I listen to this a lot. There's a big thing on Facebook going on that I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, though I don't go to church. And this, da, 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 da. I'm sitting there going, how do you say that? How do you say I'm a big believer in Jesus Christ? I just don't go to a church. I like Jesus. I hate his body. That ain't, no. You know what you just told me? You're stupid. You are theologically ignorant. Because the body is there for the saints. We hold each other accountable. We edify each other. We exhort each other. We walk along each other. We encourage, we comfort each other just by us being around each other. What you're telling me is I'd rather spend my time with lost people than saved people. That says a lot. That says a lot. You can't do that. That's not the way it was designed. That's the boldness that we can go into the presence of our Father, the God of all glory. That's our boldness. Why? I want you to think about this for a second. Do you ever think about this? Use this text. Okay? This text right here. Every family in heaven and on earth derives its what? Name. Now think about that. Every family in heaven and earth derives its name. All right? So you take all of these individual families. You put all these individual families together, and yet we derive one name. Okay? Now think about this for a second. With that boldness that Paul speaks of, do you realize what he's saying is we are all named for you? Do you ever think about that? We are all named for you. I derive my name from where? God. Because I know my mom didn't do it right. My name means tenderhearted. So my mom just blew that one. Okay? So, so I, I, I know that. Okay? So, mom, I don't know what you was thinking. I'm probably glad to get me out of there. But anyway... But I derive a name from the heavenlies, the name of God, an heir to God, joint heir with Jesus Christ because of my faith in Jesus Christ. Do you know why? It's for you. But you know what's really cool about it? Every one of you derive your name 
from the same Father, and you have that for me. Paul is telling the Ephesians here, and we who are reading this, I'm coming because I am named for you. Remember what he said? For the sake of you Gentiles. Verse 1. I am named for you. I came into your presence. Okay. Now then, I'm going to take it a step farther. Because we bear the same name, because we bear the same family, and we have derived our name for Christ, that gives each of us a right to come into each other's presence. Interesting concept, don't you think? Paul comes here to pray. He bows his knees because he sees, he understands the majesty of God, and because he has this passion in his heart for these that bear the same name. That's the passion of his heart. That's why you see the emotion that is there. That's why the prayers are not for the physical, but the prayers are for the spiritual. See that? How awesome is that? He sees God as a loving father of the family that everybody derives their name from on earth and in heaven. And as the father... He knows that when he goes before him, he accepts him when Paul comes. Because God is Father and he is there as part of the family, that gives the Apostle Paul great boldness. And if he is God creator, high and lifted up, holy of holies, then there is also an amazing amount of confidence. Look at verse 16 there. That he would grant to you. Now I want you to listen to this. He would grant to you according to the riches of his what? Hmm. According to the riches of his glory. Alright, wrap your brain around this one. What is the wealth of God's glory? Well, now wait, be real careful. What is the wealth of God's glory? Paul wants you to have according to that. That's his prayer. I want you to have according to the riches, to the wealth of his glory. Anybody ever prayed like that? Have you ever gone in with boldness? Says, God, I want them to have it all. Everything. 
to the degree of the wealth of your glory. Paul is saying, what I want to ask, Lord, I want the full load of it. Anybody ever prayed this way? If it be your will. Have you ever prayed semi-reluctantly? Just a little bit. Not this man. I want the full load according to the wealth of your glory. That's what I want. If you will. Nah. Paul had that nailed down. Why? Paul understood what his position was. Paul understood he was in the family of God. Paul understood he derived his name from God. Paul understood all that. He knew that he was father. He knew that when he went in there, God was waiting for him, expecting him, receiving him, and loving him so he could do what? Give to him according to the riches of his glory. This is what Mueller, John Calvin, and several other men, Robert Murray McShane, used to say was storming the gates of heaven. Paul arrives, and he arrives at the heavens, and he has a grasp on the understanding of the Father. He who has blessed all of the saints, the living and the dead. Remember what I tried to tell you about this? You have all of this in your possession and we are afraid to turn on the ignition. We are reluctant. Well, what if it goes like really fast? Amen! Let's burn it up! But it has, yeah. Listen, I have been wrestling with this for a little better part of a year. And I have come to a profound epiphany. Okay? Why is it, Castle Rock Baptist Church, that we fiddle around with puny requests? God, give us enough money to get our gutter fixed. God, give us enough money to seal our parking lot. You know, to maintain this place that you gave us. Thank you, by the way. Thank you. Why do we fiddle with that? Why don't we fiddle with God? Pour out according to the riches of your glory on everybody that's in our directory. In a way that they can't resist it. Turn that engine on and let's light it up. Do you realize at the the end of the age, you and I are going to stand and He's going to grant us crowns based on our labors for Him? 
I remember we had a problem about a year and a half or two after we moved in here. I called everybody together, special meeting. Everybody, if you're a member, get your rear end in here and let's talk about this. And I listened to everybody. And you know what I heard? Fiddling around with the edges. My buddy Ed was there and he said, well, you know, I'm in... And I said, listen, when I get into heaven, I want railroad cars full of crowns for my labor. Well, you can't say that. Why can't I? Why can't I say that? You think about the things that we spend time on that are temporal that we want rewards for. Then you think about going to the gates of heaven and storming them with boldness and confidence because He is the King of glory and He has named you His child. And I would fiddle with what? Paul is saying and telling you and me, I want God to grant you that you would receive according to the riches of His glory. The wealth of His glory. Okay? Note this. It's not out of. It is according to. I could be a billionaire and you could be in desperate need and say, I need some money. And if I give you 50 bucks, that is out of. If I give you half a billion dollars, that's according to. That's the terminology. We looked at this once before. Chapter 1, verse 7. To Him, we have redemption through His blood, forgiveness of our trespasses, according to... To the riches of His grace. Okay. What's the wealth value of His grace? So I've seen that. There's the riches of His grace and the riches of His glory. The wealth of His glory and the wealth of His grace. And it will be according to, not out of. As rich as according. As rich as you are, the Apostle Paul is trying to tell you and me, then you should be going to God with boldness and confidence. Let's ask yourself a question. How much grace does God have? And He wants you to receive it according. See? <laughs> Try it from this perspective. How much glory and grace does he have? That's what the Apostle Paul wants God to give us. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you another one. How much mercy does God have? I want them to have that much, God. How much?
much love does God have? I want them to have that much, God. How much forgiveness does God have? I want them to have that much, God. How much kindness does God have? I want them to have that much. How much goodness does God have? I want those named by your name to have all of that. Your glory, your mercy, your love, your forgiveness, your kindness, your goodness. Your mercy. I want them to have that much. God, give to the saints who are named by your name according to that. Okay. What? Okay, do you see how I just defined boldness? Okay. Do you see how encompassed in that is confidence? Because every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Confidence and boldness. But see, the Paul wanted you, and if you look at his writings and you understand, he wants you to understand what you possess. So when you start doing... Four, five, and six of this book, you already know what you possess. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, that's easy. That's according to the riches of his love. That's easy. It's according to the riches of his mercy. Oh, that's no problem. That's according to the riches of his glory and his mercy and his grace. Shouldn't be any struggle at all, should it? But see, if I don't have that theological foundation on who I am in Christ, then you're going to be out there knocking your head out and I'm going to be sitting there going, well, that looks like a painful trip you're on. That is why there is boldness and confidence in the Apostle Paul's prayer. If you really stop and just sit back for a second, this is an incredible prayer. His prayer is what we would see in the full manifestation of divine power in each of us. And he makes that statement. That the fullness of God. And he would do exceedingly abundantly. That we would be filled with all of the fullness of God. That's his prayer. Think about that prayer for a second. That we would be filled with all of the fullness of God? Go into the heavenly saying, I want it all. And I want it for their behalf. I want them to have it all. I want them to have it for their behalf. I want it to be so manifested and so magnificent that the whole world goes, whoa, whoa. You think about that. The whole fullness of God. Now, 
The whole fullness of God in one person. You go, whoa. Whoa. What if the whole fullness of God was in this group right here? I don't have a word other than whoa. <laughs> I mean, I, I could use phantasmagorical, but I'm not sure that that's sort of go, what? You ever thought about that? That's what the Apostle Paul's doing. Apostle Paul, one of my favorite verses out of Colossians 28, is that present every man complete in Christ. You know what that is? That's all the fullness of God. <laughs> We'd all be walking around reflecting the wealth of His glory, the wealth of His grace, the wealth of His mercy, the wealth of His love, His forgiveness, His mercy, His goodness, His kindness. That's this prayer. That is the specific thing He cuts through the wants. And this is what He prays for. This is the key that Christians need to fire up this motor. <laughs> you know what's funny? I've just spent how many weeks basically just introducing a prayer. But do you understand why I spent the weeks doing it? I have been praying earnestly for almost seven months, that this congregation, even those who don't show up, would be made into people who pray this way. Who go boldly before a loving Father with confidence that they are accepted. Listen, we bear His name in His family. Every one of us. We know. You should know by now. He wants to accept us. He wants to meet our need. And give every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Okay. And, and I know what's going through some of your heads. I love you. I've known you too long. But what is God's will? I thought you would never ask. First Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3. This is God's will for you. Your sanctification. If it's your sanctification, you will have the fullness of God. And He will do exceedingly abundantly be what you think or imagine. What is God's will for every one of you? And me. Your sanctification. I can call it something else. Conform to the image of Christ. To know the fullness of God. To have the Holy Spirit strengthen you in the inner man. So that you will know the love of Christ which is incomprehensible. So that the fullness of God would be manifested in you. Because of being strengthened. And because you know the love of Jesus Christ. And He would do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you can think or imagine. That would be your sanctification. Let us be preoccupied with praying for the eternal needs of the saints and his concerns will be 
our concerns. See, see why it took me so long to introduce this? This isn't your random prayer book. This is the Apostle Paul storming the gates of heaven on behalf of you and me. Remember, I'm an apostle for you Gentiles. Let's get after it, okay? Father, I come before you with boldness. I understand that some people may be troubled by this, but Lord, I look at it and think that it is according to your grace. It is according to the riches of your glory, of your love, of your mercy, of your kindness, your forgiveness, your gentleness. And your love for the people named by your name. Help us, Lord. Help us to be bold. But Father, let us be confident in what your word says. So when we approach your throne, we can go with the confidence of thus saith the Lord. Thank you, my Jesus. Thank you for our salvation. But Father, thank you. That you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And Father, I now pray for Castle Rock Baptist Church. She turns the key on. Let us run with endurance, not being entangled. In Christ's name, amen.